You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we are at. Uh, We've been walking through the second illustration that Paul gives to those uh, as a demonstration of the power of God. Again, he talks about the power of God in Ephesians 1.19. He gives one illustration, which is the life of Jesus, the fact that here's the Father. He reached into the deadness of Jesus and yanked Jesus from death unto life and then seated him in a position far above all things. We've been walking through the second uh, illustration or the second example in chapter 2 of Ephesians, which starts in verse 1 and goes down to verse 10. <clears throat> and uh, just for the sake of uh, context and flow, I want to uh, start in reading verse 1 and just read down through verse 5. So uh, this is what Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1, says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once <clears throat> formerly walked, according to the course of the world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we also once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. What an incredible passage. Uh, We've been walking through, uh, just kind of walking through those first three verses uh, over the last couple of sessions. And uh, last time we were looking specifically at verse 4, this idea of two of the most profound words in all of the gospel uh, is these words, but God. And again, it's setting up a contrast. Here's your life before Jesus. It's full of deadness and darkness and just depravity and death. But God steps in the middle of your life and brings about this new reality, uh, this new life in him. <clears throat> and it's all contained in this idea of the but God, which again, uh, if you want more, you can look back at the last session. What I want to do this, this morning uh, is look at the very next phrase that Paul gives, which says, but God, and then he gives a attribute or, or talking about the character of who this God is. Paul says this God is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. Isn't that an interesting thought? God is, doesn't just have mercy, he is rich. It is abounding in mercy. Now, I need you to think this through. Paul is a Pharisee, or, or he at least was trained as a Pharisee. He knows the Old Testament incredibly well. Uh, he has spent his life studying and memorizing the Old Testament. So I don't think it's a surprise that when he is talking about this idea of mercy here in this passage, that he's going back into the Old Testament and pulling the Old Testament concept of mercy and applying it here. Uh, Again, that word mercy, uh, this word mercy in Greek, is the same word that is used all throughout the Old Testament in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, uh, for I think it's become my favorite Hebrew word, which is the word hesed. Uh, That word hesed in the Old Testament is just profound to me. Uh, and again, I, I've been spending quite a bit of time over the last several months just, just looking at it and pondering it and just delighting in this idea of hesed. And again, it, it's where we get this word mercy from, or what it's often translated as mercy in the New Testament. So Paul says, here is God who has stepped in the middle of your death 
in your darkness and your damnation in the middle of your depravity, and it brings about a brand new reality called life in Christ Jesus. And the reason Paul says God has done that is because he is abounding, he is rich in this mercy. Uh, So what I want to do is I want to give you this concept of God is full of mercy, specifically from the Old Testament, because I just think the concept is so profound, at least least it is (laughs) in my life. Again, the word in the Old Testament for mercy is the word hesed. Uh, It's used 250 times throughout the Old Testament. And it's interesting that you find that word in every major section of the Old Testament. You find it in the law, you find it in the prophets, and you find it in the writings or the, the the uh, the poetry books. So 250 times it shows up. Interestingly, 127 of those times it shows up just in the book of Psalms. So the book of Psalms is just, just I mean, it's just is overwhelming in the sense of this idea of God is full of hesed. Now, here's the problem with the word hesed. <clears throat> no matter where you go in Scripture, it is really hard to translate that idea of hesed. And the reason being is it is so immense, I guess would be the word, uh, in terms of its definition, that there's, there's no way to adequately translate it with one word. So here, here's my short list of how I've seen it translated. Just ponder this. This is so crazy. This word hesed has been translated as love, kindness, loving kindness, steadfast love. If you have the ESV, that's the one that the ESV tends to pick for almost all of them, is steadfast love, sometimes faithful love, loyalty or unswerving loyalty, favor, mercy, beauty, righteous, devotion, faithfulness, favor, gracious covenant, covenant loyalty, grace, goodness, loving instruction, covenant friendship. I mean, this word, and I actually think there's like 80 different ways this word is translated. I mean, it's just like, of the 250 times, this word, it's like, how do you nail this word down in terms of a a full understanding? And it seems like it is nearly impossible. Uh, And again, it depends on the context and it depends on what you're looking at. But again, over and over and over again, it talks about the fact that God is one of Hesed. He is a God of Hesed. Uh, my favorite definition uh, came actually from Michael Card. He had a book on Hesed, and he translated it this way. I thought it was just beautiful. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Isn't that awesome? When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Do you know what God is doing? I have no right to expect anything from God. And yet, what has he done? He's given me everything. He's given me salvation. He's given me himself. He's given me his Holy Spirit. He's given me life. And it's interesting, even when you come back to our Ephesians passage, and you look again at that idea of, but God who is rich in mercy, this God who is abounding in mercy, the fact that he's taken me out of the kingdom of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of his dear son, that is a picture of the, I don't, hey, I don't, I should never expect anything from him. And yet, what has he done? He has given me all things that I need for life and for godliness. See, what is that? That's Hesed. Uh, so let me just give you a whole bunch of passages. We're not going to read 200, all 250 of them, but we're going to read 200 of them. Just kidding. <clears throat> At least a couple. Uh, Exodus 34. I love, I love how this word is used in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Again, it's in the context of of the Ten Commandments and Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And it says that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed and faithfulness, 
keeping Hesed for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Isn't that a beautiful thought, though? Here is the Lord, and the Lord is merciful and gracious. But that word merciful, by the way, is a different word. But merciful and gracious, he is slow to anger, and he abounds in steadfast love, or he abounds in hesed. He abounds in his covenant loyalty. He abounds in this devotion. He abounds in this hesed and faithfulness. And he keeps hesed for thousands of generations. Do you realize that when Paul picks up on this idea that he is rich in mercy, it's like he's pulling just the words from the Old Testament saying, this is our God. He is rich, abounding in mercy, rich in hesed, abounding in steadfast love. Uh, Lamentations 3. Again, it's interesting. Here's the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah's writing about the fall of Jerusalem and Again, it's, it's a lament, right? So it's a rather depressing book. You know? But in the middle of this depressing book, listen to this. Uh, Jeremiah says, but this, uh, this is uh, Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 23. Jeremiah says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So here's the destruction of Jerusalem. Everything's just kind of falling apart. He says, but this, in the middle of all that craziness, in the middle of the hardship, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the chaos, this I will call to mind, and therefore I will have hope. Oh, what's going to give him hope? Jeremiah says, the hesed of the Lord never ceases. It never fails. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that an interesting thought that in the middle of travesty, in the middle of circumstance, in the middle of, of the situation, in the middle of the economy plummeting, in the middle of the king being killed and being taken off to uh, Babylon, in the middle of a corona crisis, whatever it was that Jeremiah was having to deal with, right? In the middle of that, he says, I'm going to recall this to mind and I'm going to have hope. Well, what, what is producing the hope in Jeremiah's life? The Hesed of God. And it's because God is full of loving kindness and steadfast love and mercy and grace and faithfulness and we know that it never ceases, and his mercies are new every morning, wow, great is his faithfulness. And therefore, I can have hope, and I can be steadfast in my, in my life. Why? Because of God's steadfast love, because of God's hesed. Uh, Exodus fifteen thirteen. You have led, says Moses, in your steadfast love, your hesed, the people whom you've redeemed. Moses says, God, do you know how you have led your people? You have led your people in Hesed, those ones you've redeemed, you are leading the redeemed by Hesed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Do you know what God is doing this very day? He is taking his redeemed, we call them Christians, and he is leading them by his Hesed. He is not some mean, nasty God ready to flick you into the abyss, burn, baby, burn, right? It's not, he's not waiting to do that. He's, he's full of mercy. And, yes, he's full of wrath. Yes, he's full of judgment. Yes, he's full of righteousness. I get that. But as, as uh, James tells us, mercy, hesed, triumphs over judgment. That in the midst of the judgment, you realize that here's God full of mercy saying, whoa, I'm going to rather allow my hesed to be exposed and I'm going to live out of the hesed rather than just this pound you into the ground idea. Uh, again, it's all over the Psalms, but Psalm 63.3, because, here's the psalmist, because your hesed is better than life, my lips will praise you. I don't know if we've grasped that. 
I don't know if we understand that his hesed is better than our very lives. Uh, if you look at Psalm 89, 103, 107, 117, and 118, so those, those five psalms, <clears throat> it's interesting, all five of those psalms sing or proclaim about the steadfast love of God. That word hesed is used over and over and over in those psalms. See, this is the whole, the whole Old Testament is replete with this idea of God is a God full, rich, abounding in this hesed. Uh, it's interesting when uh, Solomon is dedicating the temple, and of course, you know, they, they, he built the temple, and of course they sacrificed, I mean, countless numbers of animals. In the middle of that, Solomon stands up, and he makes this proclamation, which almost becomes like an anthem in, is, uh, in Israel. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his hesed endures forever. Let me read it again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his hesed endures forever. And what was, what was proclaimed at the, uh, at the dedication of the temple begins to run itself through all the rest of the Old Testament and it becomes this proclamation, this, this anthem uh, of Israel. In fact, if you have your Bibles, flip over to uh, Psalm 136. <clears throat> I love Psalm 136. And part of the reason of that is this word hesed shows up a couple of times. Uh, in fact, it shows up 26 times, <laughs> which is quite a few. <clears throat> uh, in Psalm 136, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it is a participatory psalm. In other words, you'd have someone standing up front and, and they would read a line <clears throat> and the whole congregation would repeat back to them. Now, it's interesting what the psalmist is doing is recounting the history of Israel and all that God has done. And at the end of every single line in Psalm 136, the phrase, for his hesed endures forever, shows up. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That as the psalmist is recounting the history, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Israel's history, every single line comes back to the idea of, but God's hesed, his loving kindness, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness endures forever. As if it's a reminder of, hey, everything that we've walked through in the past, everything that our forefathers have gone through, hey, everything that I'm dealing with in my life, I need to remember that his hesed endures forever. And again, that word can be translated faithfulness or loving kindness or mercy. Uh, but what I want to do is just for fun, I guess, uh, I want to read Psalm 136. And I want you just to hear the, this overwhelming enunciation of the hesed of the Lord. And I want you to purposely think of it in terms of your life because we should be able to walk through our lives and say, wow, remember this time back in, you know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago or last year or last week or yesterday? And at the end of every memory, we should be saying, wow, do, do I fully know that the hesed of the Lord endures forever? His mercy endures forever. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this up a little bit here, but, uh, but just listen to one, Psalm 136. It says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures endures forever to him alone does great wonders for his mercy endures forever to him who by wisdom made the heavens for his mercy endures forever to him who stretched out the earth above the waters for his mercy endures forever to him who made the great heavenly lights his mercy endures forever the sun to rule over the day for his mercy endures forever the moon and the stars to rule over the night 
for his mercy endures forever. I'm going to change the translation here. But to him who struck down in Egypt their firstborn, for his loving kindness endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his loving kindness endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea into two, for his loving kindness endures forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host into the Red Sea, for his loving kindness endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his faithfulness endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his faithfulness endures forever. And slew mighty kings, for his faithfulness endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his faithfulness endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his, mer- uh, for his faithfulness endures forever. And gave their land for a possession, for his faithfulness endures forever. Even an inheritance to Israel, his servant, for his faithfulness endures forever. Who remembered us in our low place, for his hesed endures forever. And has redeemed us from our enemies, for his hesed endures forever. Who gives food to all people, for his hesed endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven. His hesed endures forever. Isn't it an interesting thought that here's the psalmist just walking through the history, recounting all the enemies that God has overthrown, the, the Red Sea that he's opened up, the creation that he has built, and the declaration of all that is, wow, he is, he is faithful. He is loving kindness. He is merciful. He, is, he has steadfast love. He is a God of hesed. And this hesed endures forever. Again, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His hesed endures forever. Uh, Hosea 6 6 says, God, God is speaking. He says, for I desire hesed and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's interesting that the, uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day picked up on this. And, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. The religious leaders after Jesus' day picked up on this. So the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and suddenly the Jews have a problem. We cannot sacrifice. There's nothing in Jerusalem to sacrifice to. There's no altar. There's no temple. And so from the time of AD 70, so right after Jesus, to the present day, they use this verse as the reason why it's okay not to do the daily sacrifices. And the conclusion is, well, sacrifice is important, and if we had the temple, we would be doing them. But God has said that his hesed, that he desires hesed and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, Hosea 6.6. 6. So there's, again, this idea that, that the religious leaders are saying, well, while we cannot do the sacrifices, and again, we, as Christians, of course, we, we believe that the sacrifice has been done away with in Christ, that he is the final sacrifice. But again, they use this passage to say, well, I guess it's okay that we're not sacrificing. Why? Well, because God desires hesed. So if I'm not sacrificing, well, then my life better be one of hesed. just find that really interesting. Uh, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> again, we're just looking at hesed as a whole here. It's interesting to me that there are two kings out of all the kings who were known for hesed at their death. And again, everyone's measured against David, and David is the, kind of the, uh, the, the standard, if you will. And of course, no other king can live up to David. But it's interesting that when you look at the death of Hezekiah, uh, and that's in 2 Chronicles 32, 32, and the king Josiah, which is 2 Chronicles 35, 26, both of, them, both of them say that at their death, they were known for one key thing, hesed. 
And I've just been pondering that saying, wow, wouldn't it be interesting if at my death, the one thing that they put on my gravestone, the one thing that they just say, oh, do you know what Nathan was known for? Hesed. That somehow the reality and the life of Jesus was just so evident that the, way we're, the only way we can describe that is, wow, we saw God's hesed through him. Uh, there are three guys in Scripture that I could find uh, whose names were hesed, which I think is even cool, uh, even cooler. Uh, one is Ben-hesed, which means son of hesed in 1 Kings 4.10. <clears throat> and then in 1 Chronicles 3.20, there are two guys who are mentioned as two of the sons of Zerubbabel who are descendants of Solomon, and I can't pronounce their names. But Jeshubah-hesed, which means a return to hesed, and Hasidiah, which means God is hesed. And again, it's interesting that, you know, here's, here's Zerubbabel's kids, and he says, oh, what are we going to name these kids? And two of his sons, one he names, hey, let's return to hesed, which is what the sons they mean, and the other one says, God is hesed. See, there's just this overwhelming tone in Scripture about this idea of hesed, hesed, hesed. God is hesed. He is steadfast love. He is abounding in mercy. Uh, if you have your Bibles, John, uh, flip over to John chapter 5. I, I was studying this out again yesterday, and I came across this, and I was like, I have never seen this. This is amazing. And I was so excited last night, uh, anticipating this morning. Uh, in John chapter 5, there is this little place in Jerusalem that has the name Bethsaida. Or, uh, yeah, Bethsaida. And it says, uh, if you have your Bibles, John 5, verse 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethsaida, having five porches. Do you know what the word Bethsaida means? I, I never knew this. This is so cool to me. It means the house of Hesed. Bet, meaning house, and then the uh, Hesda is, is the derivative of the word Hesed. And so really, or a little translation is, it is the house of hesed, or the house of kindness, or a house of mercy. And again, what we see here in this, in this pool, again, it, uh, it's this beautiful area, has had five colonnades, a big water area. Uh, some translations say that there is this tradition that the angel would touch the water, and you know, when the water was stirred, the first person who got in was healed. So what you have all sitting around this place of this house of mercy is all this lame and the crippled and the paralyzed. So if you look at verse 3, it says, uh, In these, these five porches, lay a great multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the movement of water. So here's this anticipation. All right, here's this water. It's going to be moving. And, and when, when the water moves, I'm going to jump in. If I'm the first one in, whoo, I'm healed. Right? I'm going to receive God's mercy. Now it says, uh, down in verse 5, it says, A certain man was there who had an illness for 38 years. Isn't it interesting that here's a guy 38 years old who never once has experienced the mercy? And we know he hasn't experienced the mercy because he, he's lame. So, hey, the water is stirring. He cannot throw himself into the pool, right? The guy who's blind can, can run there faster. The guy who has a broken arm can run there faster. He has broken legs. He cannot get there. So verse 6 says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been in that condition now for a long time, Jesus said to the man, do you want to be healed? And I've always thought, what a stupid question. That's why the man is there. The man is waiting to be healed. He wants to receive mercy. But, but it's like Jesus looks at the man and says, here you are in this house of mercy. Do you want to receive mercy? Verse 7 says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. 
But while I am coming, another steps down before me. It's like the man looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, I, yes, I want it. But there is no one who has ever shown me mercy. See, no one has ever shown up in the house of mercy and says, hey, can, you want some help? I'll throw you into the water, right? So Jesus in verse 8 says, uh, it says, Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And immediately this man was healed, took up his bed and he walked. Do you realize what Jesus did was showed him hesed in the house of hesed. So here's a man who should not have expected anything from Jesus. In fact, even from the passage, he did not expect anything from Jesus. And yet what did Jesus do? He gave him everything. That is so beautiful to me. And I love if you just go down a few verses. Of course, he did this on the Sabbath, so the, the Pharisees were in an uproar, right? Because how dare someone show someone mercy on the Sabbath day? But when you get down to verse 19, l- listen to what Jesus says about this. He says, he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son does in like manner. You realize, Jesus is saying, you realize that the father's heart, the father's character, I can only do that. Well, what's the father's heart and character? Hesed. I think that's beautiful. So flip back and look at Ephesians chapter 2 again. Again, Paul is talking and he's showing the contrast of your life before Jesus and what God has done in your life. And again, he's setting up this contrast saying, hey, here you are. You've been dead in your trespasses and sins. You've just been just living under the authority of the world and living in the corruption of the flesh. and, And you've been just inventing ways of sinning. But God has stepped into the middle of your life and brought about a brand new reality in you. Why? Because he is rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he has loved us. Do you recognize that God is hesed? Do you recognize that God has steadfast love towards you? Uh, I keep reading this, but Romans 5.8 says, again, while I was yet a sinner, while I was shaking my fist in God's face, while, while I was just doing my own thing and living in rebellion and selfishness, Christ died for me. What is that? That's hesed. That's mercy. That I should expect nothing from God except punishment. I should accept nothing from God except judgment for shaking my fist in his face. And yet, what does he show me? He shows me loving kindness. He shows me faithfulness. He shows me steadfast love. He shows me mercy. I read this the other day, but Psalm 130 verse 7, I just love this verse. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is hesed, and with him is plentiful redemption. Another translation says abundant redemption. Another one says his redemption overflows. Another one says it's great redemption. Do you realize that our God is full of great redemption because of his hesed, his steadfast love? And as such, he is like dumping. He's, he's moving in your life. He's hitting you over the head with a two by four, saying, I refuse to leave you in this place of darkness and damnation and just depress this, this, this reality of death that I'm going to step in and I want to bring about life. Will you embrace that? Would you embrace the life that he has for you? And again, this isn't a, you know, you can live however you want to and you still get in at the end. That's not what we're saying. We're saying he has made the avenue for you to have life because of his great mercy. He doesn't want to see you perish. Isn't it an amazing thought that he doesn't want to see you live and struggle under this thumb of sin day by day by day? That he doesn't want to just save you from your sins. He wants to save you from sin, that, that empowerment of sin in your life. 
that, that his salvation is not just, you know, one time bump your head on the altar and you're good to go because you now, you're now good to go to heaven. This is, I can experience his salvation every single day for every single need in my life. Why? Because he is rich in mercy. He is abounding in steadfast love. So here's some quick application points. Number one, do I recognize that God is a God of Hesed? Do I really see him as a God who is truly full of, let me give you that whole list again, love, kindness, loving kindness, steadfast love, faithful love, loyalty, unswerving loyalty, favor, mercy, beauty, righteous, devotion, faithfulness, favor, gracious covenant, covenant loyalty, grace, goodness, loving instruction, covenant friendship. Do I truly see God as such? Do I see God who really is, as Exodus 34 says, he is abounding in hesed and just delights in keeping his hesed. Have I truly experienced his overwhelming grace and mercy to pull me out of a place of darkness, this kingdom of darkness, the, the chains and the shackles of darkness and death and sin, and been brought over to the kingdom of his dear son, as Colossians 1 says? Have I really experienced that? Maybe in the second point of application is, am I experiencing that today? Right? Lamentations, again, chapter 3 says, But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The hesed of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you realize that this very day, I need to experience the hesed of God? This very day, I need his salvation over temptation. This very day, I need to see his faithfulness. This very day, I need to experience his mercy. This very day, I need to, be, I, I need to live in the steadfast love of my God. And maybe a third quick point of application is, could I somehow get so wrapped up in this God who is merciful and the God who is hesed that it's not that I changed my name, I, I get that. But, but what if I was just known by God's hesed? What, what if, like the two kings at the death or, or the three guys whose names were hesed, see, what, what would happen if my life was so wrapped up in the reality of God's loving kindness and mercy that that would actually not only fill me up and I would experience it, but it would flow out of my life and infect the world around me. That it would somehow grab a hold of the people around me and they would just, they would begin to experience the hesed of God because they're experiencing hesed through my life. Again, I didn't read any of the passages, but it's interesting in the Old Testament that over and over and over, God begins to commend certain individuals because they showed hesed unto someone else. See, what would it look like if in this day, in this age, and in our culture and all of our craziness, see, what would happen if the world would experience hesed through my life? And again, I, just, I cannot pull this stuff off. I, I cannot live to the fullness of hesed. I, I understand that. But if the God who is hesed lives inside of me and he abounds in hesed, don't you think he wants to flow that out of your life too? That if he lives inside of you and he's, he's rich in mercy, then that should affect and infect every relationship, every family, every church, every community that we live in because he is hesed. I want, I want that so badly. Again, listen to what Paul says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Let us live in that, the light of that reality. Uh, by the way, if you want to join us for the next study and you want to study ahead, <clears throat> uh, we're going to finish verse 4 
and look at this idea of the great love with which he loved us. If you want to look at what, kind of do your own study and figure out what that means. But let's just pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that you are a God of steadfast love, that you are a God of mercy and kindness and goodness, and that the reality is that you don't just have some mercy and you're willing to kind of dish it out on, on rare occasions. You abound in mercy. You are rich in mercy, and you just delight to keep mercy for thousands of generations. Lord, could I somehow understand, as the psalmist said in, in Psalm 63, that because of your hesed is better than life, then my lips shall praise you. That I, that I should be just living in this tone of praise and worship and adoration. Why? Because, because I've experienced your hesed, and that hesed is better than life. Lord, somehow could I begin to understand that that everything that's happened in my life and all the stuff that you've brought me through and all the stuff that, that you are doing to triumph and, and even the good, the bad, and the ugly, Lord, it really is just a declaration that your hesed endures forever. Lord, may the anthem upon my lips be, oh, give thanks to the Lord for you are good, your hesed endures forever. Jesus, could I somehow experience that hesed on a whole nother level? Lord, I thank you, as Paul wrote, that you who are rich in mercy because of your overwhelming love for us brought us from death and placed us in life. But Lord, I need that today. Lord, this isn't just something that you know, I did years ago where I butt my head on an altar and I, I embraced you for the first time. It's, I, I need this today and I need to experience the overwhelming hesed, the overwhelming faithfulness, the overwhelming grace, the overwhelming goodness, the overwhelming mercy and steadfast love of you today. And so, Lord, I just, oh, I just pray that we would press into you afresh. Lord, somehow could we experience your hesed on such a level that we just cannot help ourselves but want to show forth the hesed of you to the world around us. May we be men and women who are known for our mercy, for our faithfulness, for our steadfast love, for our covenant loyalty, for our devotion, because your hesed so has filled us up that it, we just cannot contain it. It oozes forth from every pore of our body and it just oh, grabs our world around us. And they don't see us, they see you because it ultimately is your hesed. Lord, thank you for the reality that we get to experience your steadfast love, your mercy and your grace, your kindness and your goodness. We love you, Jesus. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you'd like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.